The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild course language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian, or priest. This is John Deke speaking. This is Top Up. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Hello. And uh, just as we and started recording over start. Skype, you have frozen in place, like literally as we started. So I was not actually relaxed. Everyone but Will was relaxed because I thought we weren't going to be able to start the podcast, but you seem to have come back. Well, guess what? You froze for me too. So that's what happened as well. I was doing my intro and I saw your your eyes half closed and your mouth agape and I'm like, is Will really stoned or, or is Maybe it's one frozen? of those things where it's like, uh, you know, like in a TV show where like Quantum Leap style, we've just leapt into somebody's body or it's like one of those record scratch moments where you we both sort of turn to the camera and go, so I guess you're wondering how we got ourselves into this situation. <laughs> or is it a body, sw- it's a body swap comedy. It's like a freaky Friday, terrible yeah, toe fop. Yeah. Where you and I oh, switch bodies for a day. Okay, that's that's good. I love this already. So if you're me for a day, uh, what do you think uh, you're doing with your day? Yeah. What's your day like? Uh, what are you going to learn about yourself? Uh, well, I think I'll, I'll be pretty sore when I wake up. I think I'll wake up pretty early because it's hard to sleep. And uh, I'll probably get up, I don't know, like 5.36 or something. And am I, am I at my... That, that's actually a sleep. That's a sleep in for Oh, me, is it really? <laughs> yeah, more like a 4.30 wake up. So what do I do? Well, I would, I've got your body for the day. I'm, well, it's not really your body yeah. I'm interested in. It's your face. Sorry. It's what your, it's what your face yeah. can get me into. So I think what I would probably. Well, that is that. I've got to be honest with you, Charlie. You've made the right choice. You've assessed <laughs> your situation accurately. And you've realized the body is absolutely going to be a letdown. Like it's like you've been driving around in a luxury car. And now you've got to get in my old fucking third hand. Barely can fucking start. <laughs> takes half an hour to warm up in the morning fucking car to drive around for the day. So you're right. Ignore that. Yeah. Uh, catch an Uber. Get in a taxi as much as you possibly can. <laughs> Do not rely on the vehicle that is uh, transporting you around. So what now? So I guess, uh, well, the first thing I would do would be to call me and see if what yeah. I think has happened is that you've been transferred into my body. So has that, is that what's happened? Have you just I mean, gone away or, or, have we, or have we swapped bodies? Yeah, but you know what? Yeah, yeah like, it's like a face-off situation. Freaky Friday. Yeah, exactly. Any of these movies where somebody's body goes into the other person's body. So basically, um, you're trying to ring me, but I'm asleep. Right. I'm sleeping in. I, I'm in your comfortable body and I'm not ready to get out of bed. <laughs> yes, it's not really. It's, I mean, if it, because it's a, literally a body swap, one of us is getting the raw end of the deal. <laughs> like, it's not like I get your intellect for a day or something. I get the thing of yours that is most neglig- negligible. Oh, yeah, I know. I get the bonus because yeah. I get the super, like, I get the intellect inside this fucking super body. I might be prime minister by the end of the fucking day. <laughs> Well, what would you do? It's probably more because there's things you're fi- you can't do anymore. Now you've got my body. 
Do you go for a run? Are you active? What do you do? Just look in the mirror naked a lot? Uh, no, because that's a memory I have to take back to my own body at some stage. <laughs> I don't want to have that implanted in me, you know? That's a good question because at some stage I'm going to have to take a piss, which means I'm going to have to touch your dick. And I don't know how I negotiate that. Like, I don't know. I guess I would just wear as much clothes as possible and I wouldn't look. I would just... I would try and do it without looking so I didn't have to see it. I might even put gloves on or tongs. I think I'd get salad tongs. Hey, here's what I think is weird about that, though. You're using my hands. It's not like you're having to touch my dick with your hands. You, get, you have to touch my dick with my hands. And my hands have done that plenty of times. It's fine. My hands know how this works. You can just look forward. There's no mirror or anything in front of the toilet. You can just look forward and my hands will know what to do in that situation. You can just let muscle memory take over. Yeah, but I'll still feel it, right? Like I, I have all your senses. So when I touch it, I will know what your penis feels like. And I'm not sure. We've been mates for a long time. I don't think we're at that level yet. Okay, here's what I, I will tell you that will give you some sort of relief. <laughs> and I hope this is not too graphic a picture for our listeners. But I don't really think that I touch it a lot when I'm like going to the bathroom you just lower the waistband and yeah. sorry for the listeners at let, home let gravity do its job yeah. <laughs> with my hand i just mimed what looked like i don't know like a duck with a broken neck <laughs> well i duck with a broken neck at charlie that's yeah, that's no, what i do i, I tend think... to because i wear like you know sort of your basic sort of style tracksuit pants yeah and you know so i've got that sort of easy you know it's, they've got a drawstring on the waist oh. so normally i'd undo the drawstring and then you just kind of lower and okay. let gravity take oh, over but what about this will though what happens if you've had like a bit to drink the night before and when i wake up in your body you've got morning glory now that becomes a completely different prospect right like there's no broken duck duck in that like you've got i've got that's that's a serious consideration if i don't want to touch it then i have to really get my angles right and there's no way i can avoid well, looking at I, it oh you know what i do i'll go into your, i'll go into your backyard where i can just let it go anywhere just drop my pants do your dirty business without looking and then go back inside the house i mean i gotta be honest with you sometimes when i take winnie out for a wee i think well she's pissing on this grass and it's my grass She's not paying for this fucking grass. <laughs> I can have a go on this grass as well. I imagine. I mean, it's not like I'm ruining the grass. It has dog piss on it. I, I imagine. I imagine that when you. Okay, here's what. Sorry, b before we move on. Yeah. Um, I again, this might be revealing too much, but I'm 43 years old and I've been smoking pot medicinally and entertainingly uh, for 15 years. So you're not going to have to worry too much about like morning glory being part of your day-to-day -day routine it would be a great surprise to me if on the one day you freaky friday into my body that was the day that it decided at 4 30 in the morning was the appropriate time to go i'm up let's get into this day probably not gonna happen mate other worries for your day sure but that is not gonna be one of them i may uh i have to confess i'm a little hungover today I've had, uh, I've given myself a couple of days off, Will. I've, I've, I've seen the sights of LA. I've gone, I went and saw Guns N' Roses on uh, Wednesday night. And well, tell us about that first before you get into the other stuff. Uh, okay, look, here's the thing. Like, I was a Gunners fan as a kid. I went and saw him at Calder Park in 93, that legendary concert for people who uh, weren't in Melbourne in 93. When Guns N' Roses toured, that, I think they were probably the biggest band in the world. 
And they, they did this mega concert. It was like a mini festival out at Calder Park. Calder Park's a racetrack about an hour out of Melbourne. And they, I think on the bill was Rose Tattoo, Skid Row, Pearls and Swine. Like it was just like hardcore rock bands. But it was... It is also, when you, when you list the bands like that, it's like Guns N' Roses, Rose Tattoo, Skid Row. Yeah. It's like somebody was just like, look... We're going to have to pay for the R and the O for the printers and the signage anyway. So if we could get as many bands with similar letters on this bill, we'd be appreciating that. I'm sure that was a great gag, but you broke up and I didn't hear what you were saying. Charlie's frozen. Have I frozen? Will? Oh, no. No, you're back. Oh, and you're back. Okay, and you're back too. I think we keep freezing for each other. When I freeze, you freeze for me. It is Freaky Friday. When you freeze, uh, I don't. I don't. Fre- oh, hang no, when I, I, when I freeze for you, you freeze for me. Is what I'm saying. Okay. So I can hear you going. Charlie's okay. frozen, but I, I, you're also frozen for me. We are one and the same. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, we're both frozen. Let it go. Yeah. Uh, so this concert was... <laughs> Thank you, Michael, who understood the little joke I made there I that Charlie gave me nothing for. I got it. We're going to have to leave this in now because Michael got my fucking <laughs> Frozen joke and I'll miss the fucking partying in LA, go to Guns N' Roses, doesn't have kids, walk straight past my excellent Frozen Let It Go. You reference. don't have kids either. What are you taking the bloody high moral ground for? Also never seen the movie Either Frozen, have I. <laughs> but I know enough about the movie Frozen that there was a popular song called Let It Go. That's it. Let's not get bogged down in this detail. Uh, right. So this Guns N' Roses concert was legendary for being like a bit of a disaster. Like it was, when, it was back when Axel would turn up on stage four hours later or whatever. So this uh, must have been 30,000 people at Calder Park. It was 40 degrees. So what's that? Like 90 in American Fahrenheit or whatever. Boiling hot. There's no shade. A hundred, I think. Yeah, right. Like it's a hundred. It's like it was hot as fuck. It was so fucking hot. And... You, it was an endurance test. Like you got there at sort of midday and we were just like, it was the day before year 10 in high school. There was a bunch of my mates. And this is the first kind of like, you know, big concert we'd ever been to. And like, you know, you had to get a shuttle bus from Flinders Street Station. But then when you got there, like they kept you locked in these kind of areas where people were drinking water from taps and security like stopped people from drinking water from the taps. They made you go and buy like these $8 bottles of Mountain Franklin or drink Coca-Cola. Security were going around and confiscating people's own bottles of water that had brought in to stop from dehydrating. It was crazy. And then it went from being a hundred degrees. People were drinking out of puddles. This is a legendary yeah. thing is people were literally drinking out of puddles because they were so dehydrated that they couldn't afford $8 water. So did you, before you went to the gig the other night, drink out of a puddle? Yeah. To get yourself in the... <laughs> just, just to get in the zone. Well, I, the, the whole concert was such an ordeal. Like I didn't get home till I think 4 a.m. before I had to get to school the next day. And it was such an ordeal. I don't actually remember a lot of the show, but from what I understand, it wasn't great. Like that was when Guns N' Roses were on the sort of, on the brink of breaking up when Axel was really losing his mind. So I went and saw him about 15 years ago when it was Axel and Band plugging Chinese Democracy. And that was... Buckethead? Yeah. Was Buckethead on uh, that tour? Buckethead or someone from Limp Biscuit or something, I'm not sure. But it was terrible. It was like right. watching the worst ever covers band uh, with a particularly unconvincing lead singer. <laughs> <laughs> the most unconvincing part of that covers band was Axel. And it was Axel. So... Yeah, I'm Axel Gross. <laughs> so I'd heard a bunch of good stuff about this tour. And so I go, and here's what I'll say. 
they played for three and a half hours. And look, even if every one of their songs is fucking golden, that's a long fucking time. Like I went with our mate Bunge and his nephew's in town. He's 18, never been out of Australia before. And so we took him to this concert and I was keeping an eye on him. And all I could see on his face was, what is this bullshit old man music? <laughs> like, he just <laughs> did not get it. Because it was like old school, like Slash doing guitar solos, 11 minute kind of rock opera songs. And this kid was bored out of his mind. Look, here's what I'll say. If they had just played Appetite and maybe three or four songs from Use Your Illusion, it would have been great. But every two or three good songs, then Axel would throw in one of his Chinese democracies or they'd shot, throw in like a lesser use your illusion and it just fucking deflated the crowd. Like you could literally see people get on their phones when Axel decided to bring out one of his newer songs. I mean, I, I imagine when they were doing the negotiation for getting them back together, that was like Axel's one thing is you've got to let me play at least five songs from the album that no one knows. Isn't that an amazing thing though? It's like one of those things that you see with some musical artists where they're like, you know, I, I really want to play our new shit songs. That's the one thing that I really want to do. Whereas like, I would just be like, I have like eight or 10 of the best six minute, seven minute mm. songs of all time. So I'm just going to play 10, six or seven minute songs. Slash can do like three guitar solos yeah. for the night. And then maybe we'll let Slash do one song so that people can go to the toilet and get a drink <laughs> and stuff before I come back with Welcome to the Jungle. So like, that's, that's what you do. You just do a tight set and then just fucking get to the bar or whatever afterwards, not play your new shit that no one likes. I mean, I think the thing is, this is trying to make everyone happy, including Axel. Like they played so many songs. You couldn't possibly walk away from that concert and go, oh, they didn't play whatever your favorite song is. They played, I mean, it must have been yeah. fucking close to 30 songs or something. It was insane. Slash is still amazing. Like for a guy who has a pacemaker and was a junkie for 20 odd years or whatever, I mean, he looks exactly the same and plays the same. Like he was incredible, like note perfect. But Axel, man, I've got to say. Does he have a long hair still, yeah. Slash? Has he still got he the long hair? He looks exactly the same. See, but exactly the well, same. Well, that's a great advantage of having long hair, though, is like you can put it over your face Sia style. Yeah. I mean, it might not even be Slash. It might be Sia doing Slash. Slash might be out here doing the Sia gigs because no one can see her at those gigs. Yes, it was. It was Sia playing lead guitar for Guns N' Roses. Uh, but yes, Axel's voice, when, Axel, when he's singing Appetite for Destruction songs, fits perfectly. Like, it's perfectly calibrated. In the same way the dude from ACDC is perfectly calibrated for ACDC songs. But then they threw in a couple of covers and stuff, and they did this cover of Black Hole Sun. And Chris Cornell is widely acknowledged as having one of the greatest, most like you know, greatest range of a rock vocalist of all time. Hearing Axel, I think four range. He had four octaves or some something shit like that. Like like, that. He, had, he has this incredible voice. So Axel doing that, you're like, oh mate, stay in your lane, stay in your lane. So look, it was good. I'm glad I went, but I feel like, like I've put it to bed. Like there's, it's answered any lingering questions I had. It's like if they brought back a TV series 20 years later. I'm like, you know what? I might just check it out. I watched it. I don't think I'll watch the next series. Uh, here's what was the demographic? Because the thing about LA, particularly that Sunset Strip, yeah, uh, is that there are there are some people who got caught up in the music and the scene and the vibe of that. And people forget this was the same thing as like you know when Portland became the hipster capital or whatever. Mm. Like for a period of time, or when Seattle became the grunge capital. That's probably a better example, right? Like LA, that LA Sunset Strip, Guns and Roses, and 
Yeah, it was that hair metal thing. It was the biggest thing in the entire world. Yeah. And Guns N' Roses were the kings of it. Yeah. And there are some people in LA who went, this is my look yeah. and I am going to just stick with this look and I don't care yeah. what people move on to. I This is what I look like forever. Was it full of those sort yeah. of people or was uh, it people like you? What was the demo? It was a total mix. It was like, it was accountant looking kind of middle-aged kind of dudes and their kids. Super hot young rock chicks like... Like, they looked like the extras from, like, a rock and roll music video. Um, and then, yeah, old school kind of weathered rockers and stuff. I mean, that your place is right near the Strip. And you can go up there midday on a Tuesday and you'll see a fucking dude walking around, <laughs> like, looking like he's, like, with a spandex pants and, like, a, you know, like a chain collar around his neck and stuff. It's like... Yeah, this is this is my vibe. I, I'm digging this. Yeah, it, like sometimes you look up there and you just go, "Oh, a warrant playing a yeah. midday gig." Is there a warrant doing like a lunchtime gig? It's like a, you know, they're serving cherry pie at a restaurant and they've got warrant in to do an acoustic set or something. I wonder. They say that this tour has been the most profitable one of the last year. Like they've made three hundred million or something. They've been touring for over a year. I wonder what the split would be you do you tour what is generally like with once you pay venues and stuff and and management would they be keeping like what 30 40 percent of that yeah i reckon but, but like i mean what you can generally do is assume you'll probably get a third of it right back back your way uh, yeah 100 million i mean considering that those guys five but then you have to pay then you have to split it and then you have to pay tax on it all and then everybody has their pay their individual people as well so yeah and it's not going to be split equally i imagine like you've got duff slash and axel as the original members and then the ring-ins the new guys they're not getting they're not getting a cut of that you don't think they've done one of those friends deals where they all uh have equal amounts of the money well no i read slash's slash's autobiography a few years ago and he talks about the way Axel muscled them out of the reason Guns N' Roses kept going is that Axel basically harangued the other band members into signing over the copyright of that logo and that name to him. So he just slowly, because the other guys were all such deep into drugs and stuff, <laughs> it mustn't have been that hard. He just put like a contract in front of them and got to sign it. But in that book, it's a, it's a real sort of sticking point because it's like, well, we started the band together. Axel kind of assumed creative control mainly because he was the least fucked up one of the group, you know? Cra I mean, that is, there's your four-day work week. Yeah. You know, be the least fucked up person in a major rock band. But I guess that the, he was the, you know, the, the sort of the lead singer. He was the, the face of the band. It's really interesting, those things. I read the other day, it was just one of those things that goes around. It might have been the anniversary of George Michael's death or something, I guess. And uh, uh, they, they, that fact came up, which is always one of my favorite things, which is that he wrote, uh, I think it was Careless Whisper, um, like years before um, Wham were a thing, but he let Andrew Ridgely have a co-writer's credit on it anyway, so he'd never have to work again, basically. Yeah. And there are some people who are incredibly generous with that stuff, and there are some people who aren't. Well, I reckon, I mean, it, it felt like, when I saw the Pixies reform for the first time a few years ago, there was a sense, like, we, Gemma and I saw them at this, like, warm-up gig. It's like 150 people in Melbourne, so you could get really close, and you could see like the tension between band members, like it was obviously like a financial arrangement. Like we'll come out and we'll play, but minimal banter. We're not going to joke around. As soon as we've played the hits, we're getting off stage. There was kind of a feeling like 
Axel had reined it in. Like they got to stage within 15 minutes of the scheduled time. Like I was thinking that maybe I'll get there, you know, like an hour after the scheduled time because it's Axel. But then everything I read beforehand was like, oh no, like when they were touring, the last time they were touring, they paid so much in overtime to crews and venues and stuff that they came back from like a world tour and their accountant said, you're broke. <laughs> you actually have to go back out on the road again. So I feel like somewhere in the negotiations, like maybe Slash's lawyer or someone has said, okay, we'll do this, but this motherfucker has to turn up on time. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because that's all the other stuff. Like there'd be venues and stuff where they'd have curfews. There'd be places where like, you know, you're just not allowed to play over, or they have to pay their staff yeah. like double over a certain period of time and that sort of stuff. So again, th that's all your overheads yeah. that people don't take into consideration. They're like, I saw Guns N' Roses. They played for three and a half hours. Uh, Axel is now broke. <laughs> And was selling his own knockoff T-shirts on the corner down the street. Well, this is the thing. Like, it did feel... Guns N' Roses were like rock and roll. They epitomised rock and roll. They were the last... You know, before grunge shit and kind of, you know, music got fully serious and stuff. They were the last kind of like, you know, glam, hardcore, would party, would punch you kind of rock band. But it doesn't feel like that. Like, they don't feel very dangerous on stage now. Like, you know, when... They do close-up of Axel playing piano and he's got these, like, you know, Gucci, Bulgari, like, you know, diamond rings on his fingers and stuff. And even his kind of torn jeans are kind of, like, clearly $400 jeans and stuff. I will say his wardrobe has improved. Like, we grew up on an Axel that was fucking shirtless, white bike shorts and a bloody bandana. But now he's kind of, like, jeans, T-shirt, leather jacket. Like, just standard kind of rock and roll look. What's the state of his hair? Because mm, there was that cornrow period that was... Yeah, what's going on with Axel's hair? I don't... Well, look, I think it's not real. I think he's got plugs. And he doesn't show it a lot. It's kind of a bit like Brett Michaels. You know, Brett Michaels always wear that cowboy hat. Axel was always wearing something on his head. He still goes the bandana. He wet... At one stage, he came out in this big fedora. Like, comically big fedora. And I'm like, hmm, are you trying to get, like, one back on Slash here? Like, are you trying to introduce a second hat into the band? Because I don't think it's going to work. <laughs> Slash is like really pissed off backstage. Oh, that's my one thing. Yeah, my one thing. Now he wants to wear a fucking big hat on stage. That's my one thing. Yeah, it was. Um, it was. It, it, I can. I can see why people have loved it, but at the same time, it's like I don't know that you need to see three and a half hours of any one band. Like no, no band could play three and a half hours of like hits, right? Uh, I mean, Bruce Springsteen does three and a half hours, but I guess he's like, his fans are probably, you know, more familiar with his, um, you know, they're the sort of people who listen to the whole album and really love, you know, all his songs and, you know, there'd be certain, like, you know, The Cure probably, you know, might belt out two and a half, three hours and it's pretty much all hits, mm. but... But yeah, I guess they're still like, you know, the reason they're playing for that long is that, you know, that Rob wants to do one of his, uh, you know, eight and a half, you know, minute intro, fucking 15 and a half minute guitar jam, like same word over and over, one's in the middle. Well, it was funny. There was this one bit where, uh, I mean, Ax uh, Axel was on and off all stage, on, a, on and off stage all the time, I guess, resting his voice. But Slash stayed on the whole time. Like, it was pretty amazing. Like, he was noodling in between songs. He had like at least 10 solos. But he started playing this one solo and I'm like, I had this deja vu moment. And then I realized this is exactly what he did in 93 where he just starts like, you know, noodling around. And then he starts playing like a, a rock and roll version of the Godfather theme. <laughs> 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 wow. 
And I was like, Jesus Christ, in 20 years, you haven't come up with a new bit? He's been doing that same bit. He's like, well, it just works, man. It just works. People love it. If I can nail it, I do that. God, that's my bit. I have one bit and it fucking kills every night. I'm not Jive Bunny, mate. I'm not updating this shit all the time. Fucking Jive Bunny. Jive Bunny. Now, that's a tour I'd go and see. Come on, everybody. Come on, everybody. The Jive Bunny reunion tour. Wow. Can you imagine that? I mean, everybody is doing comeback tours and DJs are massive at the moment. You know, all those sort of David Guetta and like Tiesto and all that sort of shit. Yeah. Imagine if they're like in Vegas, like, you know, because you always see the big ads for them, the big billboards for them all over LA is that like, you know, David Guetta's doing like New Year's Eve at some like, you know, and he's getting paid like $5 million to like have some big New Year's Eve party at some casino in Vegas. Yeah. Imagine if one of the casinos, like New Year's Eve, Jive Bunny live, Jive Bunny back. For the first time, yeah. DJing on New Year's Eve. I go to that. I go to that in Vegas. Yeah, with Yaz and the Plastic Population, the Support Act. <laughs> they just play The Only Way Is Up 15 times. Well, they kind of do that now. Have you noticed this new trend with touring? Is that they will... They don't have a, an act who can sustain their own tour. So they'll bring out like... It's the R&B acts of the 90s right. that you always loved. And it's like a couple of bands that you sort of remember having like a top 10 song in the 90s. Like... And they'll bring them out, and so they'll come out and they'll pay four songs each. And Sam Kavanagh, actually, uh, our mate Sam Cav, sent me an invite to one in Sydney before I left. And it was literally like, I mean, I can't remember who the artists were, but it was like less than Coolio. <laughs> like, well, whatever the cheap knockoff of Coolio is, <laughs> that. They were three acts who all toured as a support act for Coolio. <laughs> it was called the Not So Coolio Tour. Now, uh, we promised we'd get to uh, Justice League this week. Um, I hope... Okay, so if we're going to talk about that, let me, um, let me just take a pause because okay. I overestimated my bladder's capacity to get through an entire episode of this show. All right. You sure you don't want me to swap into your body and do the pissing for you? Well, maybe I'll take your advice and just do it on the lawn <laughs> out here rather than going into the house. Okay, I'm going to... Hang on. I'll be back yeah, in a sec. All right, we're back. How was it, Will? Uh, yeah, it was good, actually. Um, I didn't touch it. <laughs> That's a new T-shirt. <laughs> so fop, I didn't touch it. Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's, let's get into it. So, first of all, general impressions. How, we don't have to say spoilers, because nothing that happens in this film is a surprise, right? We've been talking about this film for a long time. It's been two years in the making. And we've been saying, why have they done it this way? You know, these are the flaws of, of trying to introduce all these characters at once. It won't make sense. It's exactly that. Like, it's, it's, it's like the slowest car crash you've ever seen happen. Enjoyable car crash, I'll admit. Like, it definitely passed the time. But, like, what is it? Okay, so firstly, there are, I absolutely agree with you. There can be no spoilers for this movie because there is yeah. no plot um, or what little no. plot there okay. are. Here's a challenge. Tell me what the plot is. Uh, okay, this is the entire plot. I say, so if you are actually you care about spoilers, uh, here they come because I'm going to try to summarise the entire plot. Um, uh, some big sort of evil is coming to Earth. 
Uh, Batman recognises that and tries to assemble mm. a team of super people to fight that big thing. Uh, it turns out that big mm. thing is some sort of CGI thing from outer space. Who would have thought? That's a really original plot point for one of these sort of movies. And he wants to find mm. three boxes for reasons that are never truly explained. But you don't want to, he, he doesn't want these three. You don't want him to get these three boxes because then he'll be able to play no. old three boxy. Uh, so three boxy comes down. I'll pick a box. <laughs> Pick a box from space. Yep. CGI pick a box from space comes down. And yep. Batman uh, is like trying to collect all these other people who, you know, to be honest, come together pretty easily. Like it, it implied yep. in the trailer that he might have some trouble recruiting some of them. You know, remember there was that line in the trailer about like when he went to recruit Aquaman and uh, then he and Wonder Woman have that moment where he's like, uh, you know, I can't even remember what the fucking line is, but it was always a weird line. About- uh, uh, more yet? Was it more, more or more? No, more. No, he said, yeah. no, he said, no, he goes, he, he yeah. said, no, that comical scene. That is he in spoilers. more or less, more, more or more, more or more or less? Yeah. More or less. More or less. No. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. That scene, which spoilers is not in the film. Yeah. So anyway, it all, I mean, I'll, I'll look. No, I'm, I'm summarizing yeah, the plot. So it all comes together very yeah. easily. Um, but despite the fact that he's assembled all these superheroes and never really given them an opportunity to see what they're capable of achieving together, Batman, in the complete reversal of his attitude from the previous film where he spent the entire film trying to kill Superman based on the premise that if there was a 1% chance Superman could turn oh, against yeah. us, that he needed to die, suddenly thinks if there's a 1% chance that Superman can help us, then we need to try to just bring him back from the dead. Spoilers, guys, Superman comes back. Again, it was in the trailer and we all knew it was going to happen because it's Justice League and also there was no stakes in him dying in the fucking first place so Superman comes back in a moment where you think that there might be something interesting in this film Superman is bad for a second anyway he's not yeah. bad for long he sees Lois or some other I think he, you know yeah he yeah. sees Lois which is this movie's Martha moment and then he's good and now you got the Justice League together and they use their powers to defeat the evil the end that's the whole movie the most perfunctory set of scenes to lead to an anticlimactic battle like you've ever seen. It's so strange because I actually found myself in the first 15 minutes enjoying it. Like I was like, oh, cool. It's like DC Heroes and it's like a comic book film. I loved Wonder Woman's introduction scene. I thought that was really great. But then as it plotted along, I'm like, this is possibly the worst representation of Batman I've ever seen. Like of all the kind of like, for the world's greatest detective He's so fucking dumb and stumbles upon clues. Like, the, the whole thing, that the inciting incident that kicks off his search for the Justice League is that he... Hang on. He's chasing a burglar on a rooftop and apropos of nothing, a fucking parademon <laughs> comes out and he fights the parademon, blows it up and then th- it leaves a stain on the wall of three boxes and is like, oh, uh, the mother boxes, uh, Alfred, yeah, no, no. In, full, in full view of a, a robber he was just beating up. Alfred, uh, you're going to assemble the team or whatever it is. It's like, well, first of all, that burglar probably can start guessing as to who you might be. Right, yeah. Like, oh, no, no, I'm sure it's a complete coincidence that there's another guy who has an assistant called Alfred. Secondly, this burglar is a criminal. He's attached to the criminal underworld. He's not a trustworthy yeah. guy. So now that you've said yeah. that in front of him, the only thing that you can possibly do in that situation is kill him. You have to murder yeah, him. Yeah, drop him off the roof. Yeah, you have to drop him off but the I roof mean, now. If you were going to introduce, like a, a common rule of introducing a character is that you show them in a situation that immediately exemplifies who that person is. So Batman is the world's greatest detective. 
How about showing him in that first scene actually deducing something rather than having something just completely laid out in front of him? Wouldn't it be more interesting if something was left behind that he didn't know exactly what it was and he had to go back to the Batcave and analyze it and maybe do some deduction? But it's like you've completely undersold this character from the get-go. Right. Also, let's just pick this scene apart because if you look at yeah. what, like you said, you're trying to establish where the character is at. The only uh, generous reading of this film that you could say is because Ben Affleck is completely disinterested in be- being there. And obviously in the yeah. reshoot scenes, he's less interested even again. So maybe mm. if you want to take it to a meta level, you know, Batman's been Batmaning so long that he's not the world's greatest detective anymore. He's just some tired old bloated vigilante who actually is yeah. phoning it in and isn't doing the deducing and he's making overreacting to, like making a series of bad decisions. Because on that roof, mm. look at what he does. He, he nearly kills the criminal, right? So you'd assume from yeah. that that the criminal must have done something so bad that he is of the yeah, level that you have to threaten to kill him to kind of teach the mm. lesson, right? Then Okay, but here's my que- here's my question. Is he was he like hanging that guy off the edge of the building to attract the parademon because they're attracted to fear? There was some vague kind of like reference to they're drawn to fear. Or was that a coincidence that he was fighting this guy and the parademon appears? Coincidence, I think. I mean, if it is a coincidence, then he's even dumber than I Right, so thought. then he gives away the plan in front of the criminal he was about to kill. So this criminal now could go to people and go, to the authorities and go, A, Batman nearly killed me. Or B, to the criminals and say, I reckon I know who Batman is. He was talking to Alfred. I reckon it's Bruce Wayne. And then he just lets this criminal, like seconds ago that he was about to kill, go. Yeah. Well, from what I understand, this was a Joss Whedon reshoot scene. And from everything I read online, it was longer and it was much more comical. Like there was more to it. But then, because the, the actor who plays the robber in it is this guy in Mindhunter. He's a really great actor. Holt, Holt, Holt something or another. But he was saying that it was a completely different scene. But then Warner Brothers saw it and were like, no, nah, we're just going to make it about the fight and the parademon. So there's obviously something. There may, I get the feeling there may have been a bit of like, you know, Thor Ragnarok kind of nudge, nudge, wink, wink, Batman said it might have worked if it had been what the thing was meant to be. But it just felt like this weird, abridged, tonally inconsistent, like the entire film. In fact, the, the first scene is a perfect summation of the entire film, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's entertaining enough that you don't realise how shit it is until you think about it a bit. Yeah. I mean, there's so many, it's weird, like, not only does Batman sh- is shown to be an idiot, but all those machines he has, those fucking vehicles and stuff, I mean, what is the point of that stuff? Like that giant crab, metallic crab thing he uses to, to fight people and climb up. Well, like, in what fucking possible scenario is that a useful vehicle? I'm starting to uh, enjoy this reading of Batman as being a tired, bloated, old, crazy person who's just got too much <laughs> money and had too much power. He's been Batmaning too long. Yeah. And like he's just yeah. like now just building crazy shit. He's like, I want a crab. I want a giant mechanical <laughs> crab. And they're like, but what, for what reason, Mr. Wayne? I want a crab. I mean, there's a great scene in it where a Wonder Woman comes to visit him in the Batcave or whatever it is. And it's him up a ladder like with a like a screwdriver, like, you know, changing a screw on this giant fucking, it's like, all right, so it's just you and Alfred with these two huge armoured vehicles, you do all the maintenance. Like, generally with vehicles that big, you need an entire team of engineers and technicians. You're going to get up the ladder with a fucking spanner and fix it yourself, are you, Bruce? Well, this is what I'm saying, Charlie. Maybe this we're missing the whole point of this Batman rating. Maybe Ben Affleck was going for a Clint Eastwood 
um, you know, get off my lawn, old man sort of approach. And yeah. It, like, yeah, that's his equivalent of tinkering with his car on the weekend. Yeah, he's got an antique car. He's got a Mustang in the garage that he only right. takes out on the weekends. <laughs> How did you feel about Aquabro? Uh, look, here's the thing I will say about him is like that character, I don't know who that was. It wasn't Aquaman, but um, I think Aquaman is a t would be a very hard actual character to incorporate into that world. So this version of what they did, I, I, the, the worst bits of it are obviously when he's like, he turns into Keanu Reeves, you know, the, the, all those like, you know, just awesome hang 10 bro sort of moments. But the rest of the film, at least he's having a good time and having a crack. Yeah. Like he's one of those, like if he was a footballer, he wouldn't be the like most talented and you do a couple of mistakes that you'd be like, oh, why does he do that thing? Right. But he'd always yeah. give it a hundred percent. Like every, he'd just be like running at yeah. it. Like, you know, like. He's, yeah. He's the, he's, he's the Josh Bruce of the Justice League. Right. <laughs> I mean, like good for a couple of highlights. Yeah. You know, you need just someone to throw their body around. Yeah. You runs know, hard at Can it. also let you down. Gives it a crack, <laughs> but woefully inconsistent. And you're not really Hey, sure. Aquaman. Aquaman. Aquaman, bring it in, bring it in, take a knee, take a knee. All right, look, we just want you to put your body on the line. Just cause a contest. Just bring it to the ground. Just bring the mother box to ground. Allow the flash to go in and get the crumbs. Pass off to Wonder Woman. No, but I've been working on these cracking lines. I've got a couple of awesome catchphrases I'm trying to get off the ground. The shame of this film is, like, I could see you could do a good Justice League film. I actually was kind yeah. of doubting how you do it, you know, but... There was, a, there was elements of it. In fact, the one scene I liked, which you mentioned before, which I mentioned on Twitter and was eviscerated by people who wouldn't even dare to think there was one scene, was when Superman is revived and they face off with him. I'm like, oh, this is cool. This should have, should have been the entire movie. Like, first of all, they shouldn't have killed him. They should have saved it for like the third, end of the second film. Like, have two, film, two Superman films and then he dies or whatever. But if you did an entire film where they bring him back and then they have to take the entire film to fight him and then win him over and whatever, and not just win him over by having Lois, not Lois, yeah, Lois come and out him in front of everyone. Like, there seems to be no protection of secret identities in this film. Like, Aquaman yells at Bruce Wayne, hey, Bruce Wayne, you're Batman, in front of, like, a crowd of people. Lois is like, Clark, Clark. It's like, so we're just forgetting about the secret identity thing? We're just done with that. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Like in this movie, because I'm so sick, I know I know that they have to have someone really powerful for the, the reason for them all to team up. And so generally that needs to be some threat from outer space. I get that. And it's it, it gets a yeah. bit boring, but I get that, that you know, if you're going to get these heroes from Earth to have to fight something more powerful than them, often it has to be like from another world or whatever, right? But you've got someone mm. from another world who's also part of our world, which is Superman, right? And this man yeah. who... You spent the entire last movie trying to kill when he didn't need to be killed. But in this one, mm. like you actually would have to fight against Superman in two really great ways, which is that you have to fight against the power of a Superman who does not know what's going on. But secondly, you don't want him to die. They don't want to kill him again. They want to be yeah. able to turn him. Yeah. So what you they, really yeah. would be able to do is get the other heroes, the ones who actually have superpower, to like be yeah. fighting him and using their various skills. So you'd be able to see how quick Superman is against the Flash or you'd be able to see you know, how he fights Wonder Woman or how he fights... So they're all cool scenes, right? And how you get to see why the Justice mm. League need to come together to team up, right? You get to see all those yeah. skills. And Batman could be a way... Work using his skill, being a detective, you know, like working it yeah. out, 
like and actually trying to come up with a way to make sure that you could turn Superman back, right? That would be a really cool Ooh. like if if that was a third of the movie, even if then the next mm. bit of the movie is you turn Superman and they fight the big big bad, that would be amazing. Yeah. See, these films are all about payoff with no setup. Like they wanted the tragic death of Superman and then they wanted to sort of bring him back, but that stuff is only powerful if we've invested in the character. Like, if they had done the right thing with Superman and made him this beacon, you know, this big blue boy scout, you know, this face of positivity and stuff, and then he died. And that's kind of tragic. But who, the person who died was this gloomy, emo fucking space alien. And then if you want to bring him back as an evil person, that's a great twist as well because like, oh, we brought him back. Oh no, you know, he was once, you know, he was once a good guy, but now he's evil. But they didn't do that. They just go straight to the payoff. It's, it's like the most impatient storytelling ever. It's like, I mean, I imagine Zack Snyder's just hepped up on Red Bull and cocaine and just like yelling out like all the big things he wants to happen. It's like, yeah, but how about a bit of characterization before that? The reason Marvel, those Marvel films work so well, obviously, you know, they establish all the characters independently. But think about what they did with The Winter Soldier. The Winter Soldier is Captain America's best friend who then is, comes back with no memory as his killing machine. And whether or not they're going to save him splits the team. And they, you know, Captain America and Black Widow want to go save him. The other guy, Iron Man, want to take him down. That's what they should have done with this film is that, you know, he comes back. He doesn't know he is. You've got Batman being like, we have to take him down because if there's just a 1% chance, Batman, stop it with your fucking percentages. You're not Adam Spencer. He just flips. Everything's if there's a one percent chance. Like, how does he get through his day? He's like, well, if yeah. there's a one percent chance this coffee's going to be no good, I'm going to have a cup of tea. But if there's a one percent chance this cup of tea is going to be no good, we have to kill Superman. <laughs> uh, Bruce, I don't think you quite understand percentages. If there's a one percent chance you're wrong about that, I'm going to have to murder you right now. What did you, uh, how, how did you find Flash? Oh, okay. So, sorry, I was just going to say about the oh. Superman coming back and if they'd, you know, mm. actually put some stakes on that. The other thing is you said like the smiley Superman, because in this one they yeah. have made, they've oh, obviously yeah. taken that feedback on board. And so he was smiling again. But yeah. um, um, imagine if the twist had been that in the last movie he was all gloomy and emo, but he was a good guy, but he comes back as a bad guy, but with this kind of like, you know, big, happy sort of smile on his face. That would be a, like American a really great... American Psycho style. Yeah, he's back. He's smiling, but like his eyes yeah. are all fucked up and he's still like, you know, evil Superman. But he comes back with this like massive sort of old... It's like a flip on the old Christopher Reeve thing mm. where you don't want to see Superman smile. Because when Superman's smiling, that means, you know, he's evil Superman. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's, it's funny. They, The film felt overloaded with desperate attempts to curry favor there was you know the, the the you know the color brightness has been turned up superman smiling there's nods to the old batman theme the old superman theme and the whole thing it just means nothing like the, it just feels so empty because it you know the, i know these big blockbuster films are fairly formulaic and stuff but there is still something to be said for authorship you know a, a singular vision of how to tell that story and clearly there's two different directors on this but it feels more like Warner Brothers executives saying, oh, shit, oh, shit. Like, what have people liked about these properties in the past? Oh, they like the John Williams score. Oh, they like the Tim Burton score. And it's like, well, yeah, we do. We do. But that's not what we're seeing in this film. Like, you know, there's ways of 
you know, doing nods to the past or homages. Like I kind of feel like seeing Guns N' Roses, <laughs> you know, was like seeing The Force Awakens. Like there's enough there to make you go, oh yeah, this reminds me of, you know, why I liked it originally and, but it's all new and, and, and they're a bit older and whatever. And it's like, there's no soul to this. There's well, here's no what I would say would be mythology. Because, you know, Zack Snyder obviously had to leave in tragic circumstances and they brought Joss Whedon in. It actually probably would have been a good movie if they'd actually got the two of them, if they were able to get the two of them to work on it, like it, literally in collaboration. Mm. And Joss wrote all the exposition and, you know, the funny stuff and kind of that. And then they let Zack do all the like, I, I want to see like, you know, just let him do Explosions. his like, his money shots. Because all his stuff is money yeah. shots. He's like, I want to see this and I want to see this. And then Joss, and that yeah. probably would have actually been a much better movie if they'd actually been able to do it like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess so. But I think it's, I think what I would like to see happen now is that they just stop it. I mean, I know Wonder Woman's probably going to come out, the sequel, and well, Aquaman's uh, being the, shot. The good thing like, about this is that, like, I mean, if you want to spot, strike a blow for, like, females in superheroes, she's clearly the star yeah. of this as well. Like, it made you want yeah. another Wonder Woman movie. Like, it didn't make you want a movie from mm. anybody else involved in this franchise, but it made you want another Wonder Woman movie. Yeah, I, uh, I did not really care for any of the characters. Like, Ezra Miller, everyone's like, oh, he's so great, and what a relief. It's like, <sighs> this is a fucking irritating character. Like, really, not funny, irritating. I understand they're trying to make him like the Tom Holland Spider-Man. Yeah, but don't the do DC. that. Because we already have that. We no. have Tom Holland playing Spider-Man. So why the fuck would you make... Like, the, the, the Flash TV show, which I watch, I reckon they've got the character perfect. Just use that character. Use that fucking actor. Yeah. I mean, it is weird, isn't it? Like, the snobbery that they're like... that Because I, I haven't seen much of Flash, but I understand it's pretty popular, right? People like it. It's doing well. Like... Why not just let that guy be in the film? Yeah. Wouldn't he bring an audience in? Well, you'd think so. Is and I just... think it'd be a really cool nod as well. Or just, if you're going to do the same character, just cast someone else to play the, a similar sort of character because everyone's familiar with that version of The Flash. And now you've given us this other sort of... I don't Like, a Flash who can't run. That's the bit that annoyed yeah. me. Like, so many of The Flash's moments in this involve him at some stage tripping over. And you're like, hang on. You reckon by now he'd just be, like, good at running? And secondly, what's that weird yeah. slow-mo, like, big loping fucking running style that they're doing in this movie? It looks ridiculous. Yeah. It reminds me of your mate, uh, Harry Ramachandran. <laughs> Ramesh Harry Chandran. Big, big Ramesh Harry Chandran. So it's been three or four episodes since Ramesh Harry Chandran's got a messy... Tripping at the last minute every time. <laughs> That would have been a good scene if Flash had to do one of his big things and then got an asthma attack and had to be taken to hospital. Uh, I actually, he, the Flash was in the worst scene of the film, which is that bizarre grave digging scene. Like, look, we're deep in spoilers. <laughs> they go to dig up Superman's. Look, first of all, explain to me, Superman dies. Right. So we see his body what do we assume happens from there that Batman and Wonder Woman spirit the corpse away to Kansas for Clark Kent's funeral? Or is there a state funeral? How do they do the two funerals? Is there a funeral for Superman or not? There's a memorial service for Superman and a burial for Clark. They, yeah, right? they do the, they do, no, they do the Superman one with him in the costume and then they take the costume off 
and they transport the body to Kansas and they whack some glasses on it and they do a second funeral. No, they've got, I mean, I imagine it's a massive plot hole, but I imagine the fact that like Batman, uh, yeah, has some way spirited away the body. So the explanation of Superman's dead. And by the way, there's no body. Let's not look into that too much guys. And then, so he's buried as Clark Kent. So, yeah. So, but again, Cyborg and does Flash. not seem like the safest place to bury the body of somebody who can be immediately resurrected. Like, it feels like you'd still want to bury him somewhere other than in his alter ego's fucking grave. Well, considering in this universe, this fucking alien dude has been responsible for demolishing two fucking cities, you imagine when he died, the government would come in and say, we're taking this dude to study. Like, I mean, it'd be eat, they'd be eating that shit. Where's the body? The People, like, there'd be conspiracy theories everywhere about the fact that he wasn't dead in the first place because Yeah, you where's didn't find the body? his body, Superman's not dead. What's well, the Osama bin Laden thing, right? They threw him over, you know, board yeah. at sea. And people are like, well, where's the fucking body? Produce the body or we won't believe it. You, you'd think there'd be enough conspiracy theorists in that world that there'd be a whole bunch of people who are like, well, Superman's not dead. That would have been an interesting part of the plot. Yeah, another, another interesting storyline they didn't explore. So this scene, they decide that, you know, they're out of options. They've got to hail Mary it, revive Superman. So they agree to go dig up his body. And I just assumed the next scene would see would be him them wheeling his body and having dug it up but no we see the scene in which cyborg and flash in full costume are digging up superman's grave and having this fucking like dnm about like what it means to be a hero or some bullshit and flash acknowledges you know what on the flash i could actually dig this up in two seconds but for plot sake, let's just not. <laughs> but also, they've just been in fucking Bruce Wayne's warehouse with any manner of fucking earth-moving machines. Are you telling me sending two dudes out with fucking... Two superheroes to shovel? What? How long would it have taken them to dig that much dirt? Like, if the Flash is just using his normal speed, it's like, like, if you were walking your dog past that graveyard and you saw some dude in, like, red metal outfit and some half-robot man just digging, like... It's weird. It's not very heroic behavior, grave robbing. It's just silly thinking. Because like you said, A, you've got the Flash, who's got super speed, and you'd imagine this is the sort of thing, like this this sort of, you know, you're digging up the you body of Superman. <laughs> this is a moment for like using those superpowers for discretion. Like, you know, have a chat on the way home in the car. You know, exactly. if you want to have a bonding time. moment. You're in fucking Kansas. Yeah, there are plenty of other appropriate moments. Secondly, like you said, the Flash might need a shovel. Like, he's the Flash, but he still might need a shovel. But Cyborg doesn't need a fucking shovel. Oh, yeah, you're right. Like, Cyborg... He can make anything out of his body. He's literally, he's a, literally a, like a human Cyborg Swiss army knife. He probably has a <laughs> shovel fucking attachment that he can use. So why the fuck yeah. are they lingering why around the graveyard with his shovels? <laughs> It's kind of like in Transformers when Megatron would pick up a gun. It's like, mate, you've got a fucking gun on your arm. Right. Why are you picking a gun up? <laughs> it's like you are a gun. You're a human cyborg gun slash shovel. But, but it also makes no sense in terms of time is of the essence. So it's like I imagine the, like, the flash flew out to get that body like as quick as he could and then you're going to take your time to dig it up. It's like... Aren't you fucking trying to, like, you know, hide from Sop Steppenwolf from landing and get all the mother boxes, blah, blah, blah? Have you really got time to fucking dig up a body and have a chat? Also, the other thing is, why bury him with that fucking photo? Like, what was the photo? Do you remember there was a remember. photo of his, like, dad? 
of Kevin Costner. Right? Yeah, of Kevin Costner, just buried on him. His dad who told him never to be a hero and show his fucking powers. Yeah, let's put that in there with him. How did you find um, uh, Mustache Gate? Oh, that's well, this is almost worth seeing the movie for. Is this like yeah. brilliant thing where they've CGI'd out um, Superman's mustache? Because I'm sure everybody knows the story by now, but if you don't, yeah. uh, the idea was he was already, they had massive reshoots, as we know. Uh, he was already doing the Mission Impossible movie. He has a mustache in the Mission Impossible movie. There was uh, a lot of uh, money spent by lawyers on both sides. This is like, this is why people hate Hollywood, is there would have been like, hundreds of like probably thousands maybe tens of thousands of dollars spent arguing this fucking case yeah. between the lawyers of both um they did reshoots where they put mustaches on because that basically uh dc said uh here's what we'll do we will cgi cgi any scene we'll cgi a mustache on him but mission, we'll pay for it yeah but mission impossible are like nah it's got to go the other way you've got to cgi the mustache off him so superman comes back like for some reshoots with a mustache, which in, to be honest, just leave it in. That would have just amused me so much. It could be a running joke that it, since he's come back, oh, this would have been fun, right? Since he comes back, he can't quite control all these powers and whatever. So he's growing super quick mustaches. <laughs> he's got the power of mustaches. And then isn't that the thing about Superman is he's kind of infinitely powerful. He's always discovering new powers he's got. Right. So when he's revived, it turns out a, a side benefit is you can sprout a mustache like yeah. that. I mean, it was just one of those things because the very first scene is this kind of like mobile phone footage of Superman and Uncanny Valley is in full effect. Like it's, it's, it's unnerving. Like it's, it's for a guy that is meant to represent everything that should give you hope. You've never seen anything more repulsive. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's so off-putting and it's so counter to what that character should represent. I mean, I think any other character, if their face is a bit fucked up, you'd be like, okay, cool. Aquaman lives under the water. Batman's, you know, battle scarred. But this guy's meant to look perfect. He's a Superman, but he doesn't. He looks like a, like he's had really bad plastic surgery or something. Well, the, the problem with it is that I don't think it's just that it's hard to CGI out the mustache. But Justin was saying this the other day, and I think he's absolutely right, which is when you've got a mustache, if you've got a big bushy mustache, you hold your face differently and your face moves in a different way than it does yes. when you don't have the mustache. So basically you can take the mustache out, but your face and your lip is still moving in a way that it doesn't normally with your face. That's true because I guess your lip is slightly, even like minutely weighed down by having right. like the bristles on it. So it's going to be moving. It's not going to be moving as much. And that kind of makes sense because there's that scene where he's, you know, he's grabbed Batman, he's just come back from the dead, and it's a real, like, extreme close-up. And the whole time you're looking at it, you, all you're focusing on is this kind of dead patch of skin between his nose and his teeth. Like, it's so, it's so funny. Like, it's one of those things that, I mean, it's going to go down in legend. Like, the, the, the idea of CGIing off a mustache, it's a cautionary tale, you know, for reshoots or whatever, or having, like, watertight contracts or whatever it is. But... It's the kind of thing that you'd expect to see in like, I don't know, like an Australian TV show where they don't have the budget, you know, and they have to do like a shitty reshoot. Not a multi-million dollar tentpole film that is going to be like, you know, one of the most recognisable, iconic characters. You're going to do this to his face. Well, the thing about it that I just always think about is, because I mean, obviously they spent a lot of money on reshoots and eventually 
you run out of money. The thing about CGI is yeah. that I'm sure the best CGI people in the world could have got it eventually to look right, but it takes time and it takes money, right, to do those sort of things. And I guess eventually that yeah. someone said that's good enough. But can you imagine that it got past test screenings and stuff like that without people, the amount of people who must have had to watch that and go, no, no, I'm sure people won't be, I'm sure people won't mind that. No one's really going to notice. Like, it's so I, obvious. I, I think they would. They just had deadlines that they could not break. I don't reckon there was a screening or an approval process. I reckon they had like three weeks to do as much as they can and it doesn't fucking matter. Like we're going to just, we're going to print, rent, going to hit render and fucking like fire it off and send it to the cinemas. But yeah, man, it's just, it's, it's so funny because the writing has been on the wall the whole time. Like from the moment they announced this film, from the moment that Man of Steel was kind of underwhelming and then they said Zack Snyder is going to do the rest of the universe, feels like everyone was like, hey, don't do that, but it's, it's weird. They can't, I felt that they felt like they could kind of course correct. They could just keep that fucking keep it going, and they'll they'll just they'll get it right. But apart from Wonder Woman, they've all been fucking terrible, terrible films, and it breaks my heart as someone who grew up reading DC comics because, like, I, I don't I feel like what they need to do is just I mean just. I don't want, because you hear they're talking about like Flashpoint and resetting the universe and, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal is going to be Batman and stuff. Can we just stop? Like, can we just cut the connecting tissue? Keep Wonder Woman separate. Let's just fucking, it was all a dream. <laughs> like, start off, this is what I say. Wonder Woman 2 opens, beautiful Gal Gadot uh, in bed. She wakes up, she yawns. She's like, oh God, what a horrible dream. I dreamt that like this really unconvincing CGI. And then we just start again and, and, and we cast better and we get actors who genuinely want to be there. And look, I don't want to sound ageist, but I think the idea of casting 42-year-old Ben Affleck as Batman, he did not look, I mean, he's big, clearly, but he did not look physically capable in any of those kind of scenes. Like, he did not look like a, he didn't look like a, a, an asset to that team. I thought if what maybe they could have done or what they were going to do with him is make him like the Professor X. Like, he's not a superhuman, but he can strategically coordinate this is how we're going to attack. But no, they throw him into the breach and what does he do? He picks up a fucking gun <laughs> starts shooting parademons. It's like, so you drive your tank badly or you shoot a gun. Like, mate, I don't know you had to train in Tibet for fucking 15 years. To, I could be Batman. Just give me the money. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And he makes a lot of impractical decisions. Like, they, they set up so many cool things. Like, oh, so hang on. Okay. Hang on. How's the scene where so Superman's come back from the dead and... All the superhumans have raced out to meet him because they've all got super speed. And then about 20 seconds later, Batman, <laughs> and I just love the idea that Superman's taken off. Wonder Woman, Flash, Aquaman, flown out of there. And then Batman's like, oh, shit. <laughs> he just turns up completely puffed. He's got like a stitch. <laughs> Super, just, give me one second. Just one second. <laughs> I just want to, what is it? Oh, fuck. Oh, Aquaman, get me some water. <laughs> like I just love the idea that he's the most unqualified guy who's apparently the leader of the team and so many uh, random characters that you know that are great characters that were just so badly or so underused in this movie I mean Lois Lane they did just decided they hadn't quite ruined her enough, so they decided to ruin her some more. Uh, and then you've got Commissioner um, Gordon. Commissioner Gordon. That's one scene. One scene, and it's just one. The, the most perfunctory... Oscar-winning J.K. Simmons, Oscar winner, and give him the worst scene in the film. Worst scene in the film. Like, his whole job... Well, second worst, but like grave digging. 
and um and who else there was one other that i was just oh and alfred like you've got jeremy irons in this fucking film, you know, who you, you've heard mm. my opinions on Jeremy Irons in the past. Top but... favourite, Jeremy Irons. <laughs> I mean, maybe this does come back to the curse of Jeremy Irons. I have talked about that before, but maybe this is the thing. It's like, you know, maybe maybe this is what it is. You know that scene where uh, uh, when Superman comes back and he drops Batman, like he, he does the do you bleed and then he drops him. And then they cut to a little cutaway and it's a quippy little where Batman's like, oh, yeah, I'm bleeding. The first thought that came to my mind, because he's sitting on the grass, is that, you remember that story I've told about like getting tackled in footy and thinking I spit my asshole open? <laughs> That's the first thought that came to my mind. Is that Superman's dropped Batman, he's landed flat on his ass and he's split his perineum. <laughs> oh, I'm bleeding. <laughs> Alfred, I think I've done one of my hemorrhoids. I've burst the hemorrhoid. <laughs> Get me an inflatable donut. <laughs> inflatable donut for the Batmobile, for the Bat Crab. Oh, God. And how awkward was this implied kind of sexual tension between Wonder Woman and Batman? Like, it was just so non existent. And you could see the actors trying to create some kind of chemistry. And it's like, I don't know. Don't this, they, only, they only just fucking met. It feels like, to be honest, through this modern day prism, it didn't feel like that at all. It felt like a woman being sexually harassed in her workplace. Like, I know that the Justice League <laughs> giving, is a giving formal the organization, Batman, but it, it's still a workplace and you are still technically her employer in this workplace. And it feels to me that you are making inappropriate advances to Wonder Woman in the workplace. I mean, seriously, dude, you're in the midst of a you know, big, bad battle. This is not a place for flirting and making sexual comments. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I watched Wonder Woman on the flight over here and I, and I was like, yeah, this is a good film. I really like it. And I, the more I see it, the more I kind of go, Patty Jenkins did something different, not hugely different, but it was a different kind of take on the superhero genre. Then you see the way Wonder Woman is shot in this film and I'm oh. talking purely how they film her and it's ass shots fucking left, right and centre. There's a shot where they're all jumping off the helicarrier or whatever where they linger on her ass and like, oh, Jesus, like... Two steps forward, one step back. Well, it was one of those things, wasn't it, where we spoke a little bit about the female gaze and female directors when we first talked about Wonder Woman. And, you know, then we did another episode because there was some feedback on maybe we concentrated on that too much. But I feel like this movie proves the point we were originally talking about, which is how refreshing it is to see a woman direct that character because when you see a man direct that character, suddenly you're getting a very different view, which is mostly upskirting. <laughs> That's really what it was. I think in one of the scenes, Aquaman had mirrors on his shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Is this canon? Is this canon? He's like, dude, upskirting, bro. I live Are under the water excited? so I can look at women in their bikinis. Are you excited for an Aquaman film? Did seeing Atlantis give you a thirst, wink, wink, for more? No, I don't want to see more of Atlantis, but I, I, if it was all about that sort of gritty village that he goes to and w what he's tormented about. And like, you know, there is some great, uh, it made me more excited for an Aquaman film than I perhaps thought that I could be. I, I would happily see an Aquaman film and I'd happily see another Wonder Woman film. And yeah, I, but if, if they needed to burn the whole thing to the ground, like you said, make a couple more Wonder Wo Woman films, like take the next four years off. Yeah. Make a couple of Wonder Woman films. 
and then mm. start properly after that with a whole new like take on this if you really want to build a universe again. I mean, I don't want to blame Christopher Nolan because it's not his fault. For, what, but for just making still... it good and then like, you know, that's, it's not his fault. That he, like he well, showed that you can make it good. He made a good superhero film and Warner Brothers lacked the imagination to go, oh, you know what we should do is hire really visionary directors to, uh, to, to uh, headline all our properties. What they tried to do was they hired a visual stylist and got Christopher Nolan to attach his name to it and tried to make this desaturated, gritty, meditative exploration of what it means to be a superhero. And they were just, they were just pot committed. And, and I think Wonder Woman managed to break out of that by just because it was set in the past before the events of all the films it wasn't oh it didn't owe anything to those films it didn't have to it could just be its own thing so yeah man like let that be let that be the, the iron man of the dcu eu let's just forget about suicide squad batman versus superman and we just start from that like just i mean in batman versus superman there's a bizarre fucking dream that batman has about you know some weird future that makes no sense. They still haven't explained what it fucking means. So theoretically, they could do it in Wonder Woman 2 where she just wakes up and goes, oh, I had the most horrible dream about like us forming a Justice League. No, you know what you could do? Just set it all in the past. Like just keep making Wonder Woman movies that are only from the centuries. from that past, anything before the events that happened and anything else. And then in that time, yeah. it, can be, it can be a new universe. You could still keep Gal Gadot, right? And then eventually mm. update it to the modern times. But in the modern times, it's not fucking Ben Affleck and, you know, all these guys. It's a whole new sort of Justice League you've established properly. Although I'd like to see you do like a, like a, a, a cyborg in 1915 <laughs> where he's just assembled out of like a, like a wagon wheel and a pitchfork and like he's steam powered. <laughs> My dad tells me I'm the half only... man, half cyborg. You've got a bin on your arm. <laughs> yeah. Dude, you just had polio, all right? That's why you go. Just wearing bloody stirrups. <laughs> I'll take on cyborg, uh, cyborg is more an I can jump puddles sort of vibe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I've been keeping an eye out to see what if they're announcing what's going to happen. But it feels like Affleck's out, right? Like, uh, well, you've he... never seen a dude more like. He's checked out, like in this film. There's, there's actual scenes where I feel like he is asleep. Yeah, phoning it in. Absolutely phoning it in. It was, um, it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. Hey, um, we should finish up because I know you've got to go out to oh, dinner. No, I'm okay. So. We, we, oh, we, we, I'm, in, I'm in no rush, but yeah, I'm okay. You can okay. Well, we should finish up anyway because I need to finish okay. up. Okay. <laughs> okay, no worries. Well, I planned my, you got any what f- I was going to say is I planned my day around the fact that I thought you had a tighter deadline than obviously that you did. Have. Yeah. That's okay. No, okay. I, I, I had my plans pushed back by an hour, so I'm oh, okay. fine. But that's go. cool. We can wrap it up. We've done, we've done over an hour. Yeah. We've given, we've given people what they wanted. Okay. Body humor. Don't have Body to swap. <laughs> Justice League talk. Guns and Roses. What else do you want, you animals? Um, uh, we, we have a Patreon page where you can support the show uh, James Fosdyke does an amazing uh, uh, comic strip called uh, Everyone Relax and it, it's absolutely brilliant and you and James have been working on a special project as well yeah Quantum Cop uh, I don't know where it's at because look I, I just work with Foz on the idea and, and then he goes and makes it happen so I think he's on holidays at the moment we've been working Foz, Foz to the bone 
Um, you'll notice the artwork for this episode is a particularly ironic little <laughs> clip art thing that he's put together in advance because normally what happens is we record the show, Mike Hal sends it to, to Foz, he listens to it and then he comes up with the artwork based on, on what we've talked about. But he's, uh, he's preempted in a, in, a, in a DC short-sighted way. <laughs> he's already planned what it's going to be without seeing how the, the thing goes first of all. Uh, no. So uh, Foz does artwork on the site. We also put up some bonus materials, behind the scenes photos. Um, we're working on some more video content. You should check out our YouTube channel, actually, if you haven't been there yet. We've got a bunch of Q&A videos that we've put up there. There's some highlights from the show. There's some whole episodes. If you want to listen to it while you're at work, you don't want to listen on your phone. Um, we're also on Facebook. We're on Twitter. What else? Do we have anything else to plug? Uh, uh, well, uh, can I uh, plug that my uh, yep. new show, Will Eagle, is on um, sale? Will Eagle. Why is it called illegal, Will? Well, it turns out I got arrested, Charlie. Involving the poli- oh, really? Yeah. You know that topic that I've been trying to avoid so that I don't give away my entire show on this podcast over the last three months? Um, it's been one of those things where I know a lot of people keep contacting me and going, when are you going to tell the story? And I'm like, well, I'm going to tell the story a lot at night. When you uh, pay for it. Yeah, you have to pay for it because it's... Uh, I've, I've always wanted in my life to write a show. It's actually genuinely been one of the things I've always wanted to do was write an entire show that was just about one story. And it turned out on my flight to Wagga Wagga, one of those stories uh, landed in my lap. So uh, I have... Is this, the, is this a kind of show, because you're talking about legal stuff, do you have to run it past like lawyers or something to make sure you're not... Well, I mean... Perjuring yourself? Well, no, right I don't think so. Because, I mean, I'm not going to say anything in it that isn't true. Um, so, mm. I mean, well, I'll probably say heaps of things that aren't true comedically. But I'm not going to... This is like, you know, I have... The, the nice thing is some people might have read there was a letter to the editor that was written in by another person who was on the plane who described how I'd behaved. And uh, so I'm pretty confident. And obviously the police cleared me and, you know, all those sort of things. So... My version of the story, I believe, is the true version of the story and it has corroboration that it's the true version of the story. Obviously, it's not just about... um, I mean, in fact, because the the thing that happened on the plane was such a minor sort of miscommunication, the story's a lot about, you know, what it's like to be arrested and, you know, being at the police station and all the sort of, you know, ongoing ramifications. So... Uh, look, I will say to the people of Adelaide who will be the first people to get to see it, come on the first couple of nights because fuck, maybe there is some bits in there that I'll have to take out legally. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> so come along, uh, see the whole version and then perhaps by I mean, the Wednesday or the it Thursday. It would be amazing. Like you should actually try and make this happen because what great cross promotion it's meta is like, you know, when Lenny Bruce would perform on stage, like he'd get arrested for like, if you got arrested during the performance of Will Eagle, amazing. Wouldn't that be great? You get arrested telling a story about when you got arrested. I mean, that'd be great for one night, but then... (laughs) (laughs) Well, then you got next year's show as well. Did I ever tell you about that time I got arrested when I was talking about a show about a time when I got arrested? (laughs) Fucking hell, this is some Christopher Nolan Inception shit going on here. In fact, that should be your comedy festival plan for the next 10 years. Just get arrested at each show and then next year you just talk about that arrest. Well, the, the, the funny thing was this was on the literal last night of the Australian part of the tour. And I love that idea that on the last night of one tour, I got the entire next year's show. So if that could happen again on the last night of this tour, that'd be really cool. So perhaps I'll try to get arrested. Perhaps, perhaps I'll go back to Wagga Wagga and do the last night of the tour in Wagga Wagga. Oh, here's what we'll do. We'll swap bodies for one night, <laughs> and then because 
I know you actually, you're a very conscientious dude. You don't like putting people out. I'm a bit more obnoxious. I'm more than happy to take your body and go do something to get myself arrested. So you've got material for the show. I appreciate that, Charlie. You're a good friend. So that is on sale at the moment. <laughs> you can check that out. And I have another podcast called Willosophy, uh, which is about to become more regular, uh, which is really exciting. Um, I did an episode uh, last weekend with uh, Jared McKenna, who is a great friend of mine and is a pastor who went over to Manus Island. Uh, it has been one of the most... The response to that podcast from people has been uh, quite amazing. Um because of Jared, I was—I literally just sat in this seat and listened to Jared tell an amazing story. That was my involvement in it. But uh, Jared went over there and uh, met these men and uh, reported firsthand. And so it's his story. But if you have not heard it yet, um, I highly recommend it. And I don't. Uh, yeah. Anyway, it's 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 just a really powerful story and uh, very well told. And you can find philosophy Tofop, two guys, one cup. That's awesome. All at our website, tofop.com. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. Bingo, bango.